Deezer Originals. This is Defending in Numbers. Oh, hello, hello. Welcome to Defending in Numbers, the podcast where we take a walk down a corridor of uncertainty to try and pretend to learn a little bit more about football than we already did. And joining me, Rob Armstrong, today to do that is Hot Take Jake the Snake Entwistle. Oh, he's combined both. You've got two nicknames, making one collective nickname. That's the best combo in the world. You, it's, it's all you could ever dream of. And also, join us today, Carl, the anchor man. The anchor man cometh. Carl Anchor, how you doing? I'm all right. Welcome, true believers. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, Carl and Jake, you are both avid subscribers to Defending in Numbers. Of course, you've both gone into Deezer and iTunes and subscribed and rated and reviewed to improve that algorithm so that we both get rich as someone. Neymar. <laughs> That's yeah, our podcast, yeah. right? Yeah. Get yeah. DBRC money. Exactly. <laughs> the million dollar man over there in the corner. <laughs> so, Champions League's back. We've had, all ha- we've had the song. Did you get excited when you heard the Champions League anthem last night? Yeah. yeah. I imagine you've got that sort of, your gym playlist is just that. If, again and again and again. If I if I went to the gym, it probably would be on yeah. there. But um, yeah, it was nice to watch the Champions League and not have the stress of supporting any team that's actually in it. <laughs> uh, and Carl, your gym playlist is the Champions League theme and Mr. Ass's old theme song, yeah? I'm just an ass man. Uh, uh, there we go. <laughs> Getting them in early. Oh, Carl, you're like my new best friend. While me and Carl Bond, let's listen to a jingle for Week by Numbers. The Week by Numbers. All right then, lads, I'm going to start you off with a number that's very aesthetically pleasing. Number 77. And that's Frank De Boer's days in charge of Crystal Palace. Poor bloke. So he's come in, he's had four games, and then he's been replaced by Roy Hodgson, a man who has never managed more than four games at an international tournament, despite his three <laughs> attempts. Uh, I mean, where, where did it all go wrong for him? Because it's not really a long enough time to reinvent the philosophy of a football club, is it? Yeah, I, th- I think it's a really hard sacking. Not Obviously, they are poor results, whichever way you look at it, but to sack him after four games when there's definitely been signs of life is really harsh. They, they've had the eighth most shots in the league, so it's more down to just poor finishing and the players on the pitch not delivering, which, again, is down to manager choice in, in some regards. But at the same time, if you're setting up your team to have 23 shots against Burnley and you can't score... That's not the worst thing in the world. It's more of an unlucky result than your manager being completely incompetent. So to do it after four games, I think, shows signs that maybe he was doomed from the start. Same as same as at Inter Milan. I don't think anyone had confidence in Frank de Boer when they appointed him. And I think that's come to life just after after these games. Carl, how small do you reckon his suitcase is? Do you reckon he bothers packing for the long run or he just comes for a week? Good. I reckon he's just got a duffel bag. <laughs> that's what he needs. Just nice, efficient duffel bag. Ryanair. Get yep. him in, get a laptop as well. Slides, stick white socks. Passport in there. <laughs> An iPad, not even a laptop. Yeah, it, it was maybe the wrong... It, it seems as if it was the wrong decision. They probably went out for a name to make Palace fans slightly happy about the fact that Big Sam left. The Messiah. Yeah. That is. <laughs> and and they didn't, back him, they didn't back him in a transfer window. And, I mean, the reports you're getting in various outlets about how he ostracised some players by essentially doing flicks and tricks on the pitch... Uh, and showing, you know, types of Martin Kelly and Scott Dan that he's better at his age than they ever will be. Wrong man for the job, you know. Certain, certain clubs, you know, maybe Zidane doing a free kick challenge against Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, that's really nice and inspires Cristiano Ronaldo to walk in his free kick technique. Frank the Burp showing his set piece play to Jason Punchin. Maybe not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the thing is, four games, four league games is the shortest run as a manager in the Premier League, which is 
like horrific indictment. That puts him in the company of that geezer who's in charge at Chuck. What was his name? Les, Les Ch- Reed. Les yeah, Reed, yeah, that's yeah, the one. Yeah. So you're Les Reed and you're Ian Dowies of the world. He can't be that bad, surely. Yeah. He's been at Inter, he's been at Ajax. Is, this, is his um, reputation as a manager so damaged now that he's going to struggle for the next club? There's, there's really interesting sort of theories about how he's still just going to manage to secure a job uh with the Dutch national team, they obviously they obviously love using sort of native talent to to run the national side, and he's obviously a legend, and he did really well at Ajax, Inter Milan, and Crystal Palace. He didn't do well, but I don't think he got enough time to show it. Like if you if you have a philosophy, you've got to have that patience to to implement it. Like Pep Guardiola hasn't done that well at Man City last season. We've talked about that before, but you're starting to see signs that now that that philosophy is ingrained into every player that's on the pitch 11 players 15 players on the bench they all understand how they have to play De Boer had no time to do that at Palace so despite the fact that they are the first team in Premier League history to not score uh, in their first four games and lose all four games that obviously makes him look like an awful manager but there were signs there as I said the 23 shots they had against Burnley was the most in that game week people were winning people were scoring three goals in the game just such a, a closed decision to do it after that at four games despite the records that he set um, so yeah, he's going to struggle, I think. Carl, obviously, Roy Hodgson running in, cashing in the money in the bank, <laughs> it's, taking the job. How's he going to do? It's amazing. I mean, the, the the reports were they made what the the board at Crystal Palace were making contact with other managers two weeks ago, which mm. shows they have absolutely zero faith in the board. And yeah, Roy didn't have a good spell at Liverpool. I still think he did a great job in England, apart from the you know catastrophic defeat to Iceland um, I remember there's a very good writer Daniel Story who described him as some people are more comfortable at driving sedans than supercars and I'm not sure if Crystal Palace are that comfortable sedan I think they're like that slightly dodgy really beautiful Alfa Romeo Romeo so I think that'll be a nil-nil draw against Southampton. I think they'll probably get a couple of really boring draws as he figures it all out, but I'll get him organised. He'll give an arm around Benteke's shoulder and Benteke will score 10 goals, so we'll be fine. Yeah, you reckon, reckon Palace are going to be all right? They're not going to be, they're not going to be done, Alfa Romeo done? No, no, <laughs> no. Not, not two times, times I, plus, yeah. <laughs> I, I deserve a medal for that. <laughs> Next number, 124. That's the amount of Premier League goals that Sergio Aguero has scored. That's more than any other non-European now. So there's been a lot of talk with uh, Gabriel Jesus coming in, whether he's always going to fit into that system, whether one of them is going to move out, get shifted out of the club. But it seems to me that he's still pretty much the best striker in the league, certainly by a sort of minutes on the pitch goals ratio that you've probably got a really good term for, Jake. So Sergio Aguero, he's going to be sticking around for the long run, isn't he? Yeah, I think he's arguably one of the best ever Premier League strikers. You'll argue that he doesn't have that completeness to his game or we've never seen him dominating assists and goals tallies but 124 goals you can't argue with the fact that's more than any other player in from 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 like other continents so non-european i was going to say from one continent but obviously south america <laughs> is not just the only non-european but it's a lot um, of great players from antarctica they're, they're yeah, all the best ones. exactly so and i think with Gabriel Jesus coming in, he's sort of come in and he's going to be like the, the killer poacher in the box at the moment. He's been in the right place at the right time for every goal. He's involved in a goal every 65 minutes for Man City in the Premier League. He's got um, 10 goals and four assists. So Jesus is obviously thriving in that Man City formation. And interestingly, Thierry Henry did an interview with Aguero, I believe it was before the start of the season. And Aguero explained to him how when he first started a career, he was not a number nine. He wasn't the furthest forward player on the pitch. He used to thrive in behind another player, working to 
uh, dribble the ball forward, create chances for his teammates. So I think in this 3-5-2 that Pep Guardiola is experimenting with now, you'll see Aguero being the one that drops off slightly a bit more, trying to get more involved in the play and, and, and dribbling more with the ball, which is something that you forget that Aguero is very capable of doing. If you Any highlight reel of his time at Atletico Madrid, he made defenders look silly in typical Argentinian fashion, it seems. So I think... Um, three five two. Yeah, exactly. Um, a poor man's ankle. <laughs> in three, in the three five two, I don't see any reason why Pep Guardiola will move away too often from playing uh, Gabriel Jesus and Sergio Aguero. Um, and as you said, I think there's plenty more to come from from both of them in the Premier League. I think when I was watching the game this week and I saw Sergio Aguero pass to Jesus, I thought, well, that is why he's so good. Like he, There is no issue in the back of his head thinking, oh, yeah, I've got competition. I need, he just he does whatever. He does whatever to get the goal. And I don't know, I, I just think he must be one of the best strikers we've seen in the Premier League now, surely, Carl. Oh, yeah, he's top five, possibly. If you put enough orange juice in me, I might argue top three. <laughs> I think one of the very first... When he first came to Manchester City, he obviously, I think he scored a brace on his debut against Swansea. I can't, I can't remember exactly. I think I think he might have done, yeah. yeah I think he's one then, of the few players to score like the first four games as yeah. well. Uh, and then he played up against Norwich, a Norwich side. Um, I think he, he took the ball in the corner in the corner of the box and, you know, Norwich, just been promoted, dogged defending, all got in a row, two people on the line and he sort of hit it with the outside of his boot and he did a banana skin and just looped in the goal. <laughs> and you could see the look on all the Norwich players that, oh, this is the difference between yeah. championship football and the best in Europe. And um, Aguero, is, he's a generational talent. He's hurt me a lot because I'm a Manchester United fan. <laughs> and yeah, as as Jake said, he used to be a, a number 10 at Atletico Madrid. And providing he keeps doing what Pep wants and you don't hear the reports that he's sulking in training saying it doesn't matter what happens, I'll score a hat trick on the Saturday. He'll be a mainstay of that Manchester City side. I mean, if you look at the possible suitors, Barcelona looked all racked up. Real Madrid looked very happy with Karim Benzema. PSG have various people. <laughs> um, so unless Falcao gives him a ring and says, come to Monaco, I think he's going to be fine. He's going to be a Man City for a long time. Yeah, I mean, you said he's hurt you. I mean, he's hurt me the same amount as every decent, <laughs> every decent forward has and probably scored 15 against West Ham in 12 games like a lot of them have. But um, speaking of hurt, he does get injured a lot, which is the big problem. Is that something that might see him get replaced in the long run? That'll be the sort of phasing out of him, won't it? If, if he gets one of these classic hamstring calf injuries classic hamstring because he's, su- he's such an explosive player as well like if you look at the size of his legs for how short a man he is those mm. are some impressive tree trunk thighs <laughs> and I think his ability to just burst past players he hits the ball harder than most people in the Premier League again these the traits that people often forget about Aguero he's, he's a deadly striker but because of that explosive style of play as you get older and with the frequency of injuries that he has those calves might ping a bit more the hamstrings might go and that's when Gabriel Jesus will then be played up front on his own. You'll see Bernardo Silva coming back in. Raheem Sterling might even be played up top, which Guardiola has done in pre-season. And then that's when you'll start maybe to see that Aguero becomes less important. But if he's fit, I don't see Pep Guardiola benching him too much. I think he regretted it, regretted doing it against Bournemouth. And Aguero, in fact, if he scored in that away game, would have equaled Van Persie's goal-scoring record. So I can imagine he was annoyed. Cursing Guardiola. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I don't He'll think Guardiola will do it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think Guardiola will do it much more, much more often. So next number, number twelve, and that was the chances created by Ben Davis, more Ben Davies even. How dare I? Uh, more than any other Spurs player, he got a goal and an assist against Everton, and basically is making it look like it never needed Danny Rose anyway. Danny Rose injured for the foreseeable future. Is he going to get back into this team past Davis? I think 
Tottenham's strength is their the fact that they've oh, well suppose they've lost Kyle Walker now but bought in Aurier. They sort of have the the horses for courses fullbacks. Uh, Danny Rose is your sensational athlete. The same as Serge Aurier will be on the right hand side now, um, able to go up and down beat players rather than just cross from deeper positions. Whereas Ben Davies and Trippier are sort of the the Mr. Reliables on either side. Ben Davies played in a back three for Wales in their European Championship when they did so well and, and looked really good. I've, I've been a fan of him for quite a while now. And I just think Ben Davies is that sort of more assured presence on the left-hand side. Um, and I think he's a better crosser of the ball. And I think that's why he's so high up on the chances created uh, metric. Only Ozil or Mkhitaryan in the Premier League entirely have created more than his 12. So he's obviously doing something right. And um, I looked back to see who was the better crosser in terms of numbers. And since 2012-13, when they both sort of started playing in the Premier League properly, Davies has uh, put in 388 crosses. Uh, Danny Rose, 382. So it's really strange already that they're mm. so similar. Uh, Davies's success rate is 24 point, uh, 21.4% and Danny Rose is 173 It's practically Zappa cross stuff. So exactly, <laughs> yeah. So there's... Again, it's not exactly massive numbers. It's not Davis doesn't put every cross on on Harry Kane's head, but I think he's that sort of player that Pochettino will use when they don't need as much cover as the left back. Oh, he was a bit of a fantasy league legend this weekend, wasn't he? I think he was reckoning all the points. Uh, is he going to be doing the same against Swansea? Do you think he can capitalise on their weaknesses? Yeah, I think so. I think Swansea looked quite shoddy against Newcastle on the Sunday, um, and Spurs is September now. So Harry Kane scoring again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The day after, wasn't it? it was September 2nd that he scored yeah, for England. Grand, yeah. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Um, uh, yeah, I think they'll be fine. I think Spurs are in this interesting point now where their their uh, their backup fullbacks are perhaps, you know, a 1B. So it, they look fantastic and they look, oh, it's no problem. It doesn't matter Danny Rose is injured and then they'll go off and play someone on the top and go, oh, oh, that's... That's why that's why Danny Rose is worth fifty million. <laughs> it's that extra one or two percent. But I think against Swansea Spurs will be absolutely fine. Danny Rose is much better at Googling than Davies as well. <laughs> that, we we think so. We, we think, think so. He, he looks like a good Googler. I haven't got any maybe, Google conversion maybe, maybe rates. Maybe he's <laughs> Maybe he's Google's per minute. <laughs> All right. Danny's percentage is 100% Google's per minute, I'm sure. And 100% is our next number. What a satisfying number. Uh, that was the tackles won and take-ons completed by Bakayoko and N'Golo Kante for Chelsea against Leicester. 100%. That's ridiculous. So that What an engine they have in their midfield, Jay. Is that going to fire them to the next league trophy or will it be shifted about a lot during the year, do you reckon? I, I think Conte really likes this setup. I'll hold my hands up and say that at first I thought... Don't I'll do it. Yeah. Hold your hands up. I'm holding them right up. <laughs> yes, um, I can vouch for it. <laughs> uh, I thought Bakayoko was maybe not the wrong signing, but I thought they needed a different midfielder. I thought his similarities with Kante uh, in terms of how they like to win the ball, they like to drive it up forward, but don't necessarily have that creative uh, finesse in the final third. But he's obviously changed formation a bit. They've gone to a 3-5-1-1. Bakayoko and Kante are either side of Fabregas in the middle, who's like a quarterback. And Bakayoko and Kante are these running backs where they literally win the ball off someone or, or Chelsea will set up and they say, go, take us up the pitch. <laughs> and 100%, that means that they were excellent at it. They did exactly their job. Bakayoko's take-ons were five as well, which is an impressive number. In Monaco last season, only Bernardo Silva completed more take-ons than Bakayoko. So Conte obviously saw this style of play and thought, if I change my formation where I've got Alvaro Morata, who's more of a dynamic forward in terms of movement and, and, will, and will stay in the box, put a creative player behind him, and now he's got these two midfielders that will run around winning the ball, dribbling past players and, and giving it to the central focus of the team. 
I think it's a really, really interesting tactical tweak from Conte and it's subtle, but it's already proving uh, to have worked really well. The first game he used it was against Spurs and although they didn't have loads of the ball, it they won the game because of that tweak. And yeah, I think Bakayoko and Kante, if they stay fit, he'll play them every game. The only thing is they lack depth in that sort of area. Ruben Loftus-Cheek would have been a really good option for Bakayoko if they needed it, but obviously at Palace. And Arsenal this weekend, their midfield got absolutely overrun against Liverpool with uh, Chan and, and Wijnaldum. Completely overrun the Arsenal midfield. And these two Chelsea midfielders now, that's not going to bode well for Arsenal this weekend, is it? Yeah. <laughs> as much as I am a defender of Granit Xhaka, the one thing he struggles with is mobility. And Bakayoko and Kante are very mobile. Mobile. Yeah. mobile. <laughs> and Bakayoko especially is very strong. Last yeah. season, there were two midfielders in Europe's top five leagues that completed 50 take-ons, won 50 aerial duels and won 50 tackles. Bakayoko was one of them. And Mark Noble, the other one. Uh, unfortunately not. It was actually Wanyama for Spurs, who was oh, obviously... Really? Oh, yeah. He was very impressive for Spurs last season and played maybe not as a dynamic role, but you can definitely see why those two are, are up there on that metric. Something that's really struck me... Uh, is how well the Monaco recruits have adjusted to the Premier League. If you looked at Mendy against Liverpool, so Manchester City scored something like 24 goals using what we term as the low cross, which is if you play FIFA when you triple tap. The triple tap. Yeah. The triple tap cross. <laughs> yeah. Finally, so, someone's speaking in terms yeah. I understand. So uh, Man City scored 24 goals using a variant of that and Mendy is fantastic at doing that. And it's just yeah. simply like, oh, that's that's why you bought that man. And Bakayoko, you know, taking the ball, driving, it gives that another option. It frees up Fabregas. So when Fabregas goes through his inevitable second half of the season slump, there is someone going, here is the ball. <laughs> now go pass it to someone else. Um, they all look like really good fun. Like Mendy's having fun on Twitter. Bakayoko's having fun on Twitter. So they're all, they're all lovely boys. I and don't think I've ever seen someone take, like a set of fans take to a player so quickly as Man City fans <laughs> are taking to Mendy. He's brilliant, isn't yeah. he? I, I love the fact he just goads everyone who scores an own goal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's going to happen to him at some point, surely. Yeah, exactly. But it's great. I, I, I didn't. I knew the Monaco boys last season were good. I didn't realise they had great banter, um, <laughs> which is almost more important. I oh, mean, no. look, look at Jimmy Bullard. He's, he's made like a second career out, of yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> arguably better at the banter side of things than he was football. Yeah, uh, it's a great piece in the Guardian about how. Uh, Kante's added an attacking element to his game since he's come to Chelsea which is you know, reinforced by how he has now been encouraged to, to go forward and, and to have a shot so he scored twice against Manchester United last season uh, he scored against Leicester now and, and the thing about Kante is he's very much not expected to score so you can see it when he wins that ball and he, he makes the challenge he wins the ball you can see your midfield opponents backing off and going, go on, then pass it to Fabregas. And he goes, no, I'm just going to gonna have a welly here from 25 yards out. And because I scuffed it slightly, boom, it's gone in the corner. Frank Lampard. Yeah, yeah. Purposely hitting it badly. Yeah. Uh, Kante created more chances than any Chelsea player against Leicester. Three. Any player on the pitch, in fact. So definitely adding that new element. All right, the next number is actually three numbers. There are no rules <laughs> in week by numbers. Four, three, three. And it's the formation that Manchester United played against Stoke as they drew two all and lost their 100% record. Um, obviously, PSG on Tuesday night also played the old 4-3-3, didn't they? And is that going to be this season's 5-3-2 or whatever it was, where everyone had the wing back? Is everyone going to convert to that this year? Because it seems like there's a couple of teams adopting it. But Manchester United don't necessarily look like they know how to use it yet. Am I tempting fate saying that? Yeah, I think... I'm talking a high pitch. <laughs> <laughs> I think the intonation was spot on for that sort of question. Um <laughs> It's three question marks in a row. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Man United, they've sort of lacked that right winger. They were chasing Perisic, who 
don't necessarily think would have been the best right winger anyway, but they, they were definitely looking for someone to fill that spot. And with with PSG, they played the 4-3-3 against Celtic, Neymar, Mbappe. Uh, Cavani's a pretty a pretty tasty trio. Um, but I, I think they'll PSG themselves will more likely go to a, a 4-4-2 or 4-2-2-2 because Di Maria will be fit and they'll have Mbappe and Cavani up front, Neymar, Di Maria, and they'll score even more goals with that. But in terms of Manchester United, the... The fans didn't like it really last season when sort of Pogba was put in the two in midfield, but this season they've played that four two three one and and he's he's looked great. They changed to a four three three and he didn't have as much of an impact on the game. And the main thing about that problem in that formation is I think is Mikatarian's position. We've spoken on this podcast before about how the fact now he's in the middle of the pitch for Man United, he's doing everything. He's he's in the position to play that killer pass. His well, it wasn't an assist for Lukaku because he missed the first effort, but his through ball to Lukaku to get Man United's goal against Stoke, he was banging the centre of the pitch. And when you play a four-three-three, you're never really going to see Mkhitaryan there. So I think that's the major issue if Mourinho pushes forward with it, and especially with Pogba's injury now, I think he's got an even he's got more excuses to just ditch three in midfield and just uh, get Mkhitaryan back in that sort of central attacking midfield role. Yeah, how, how important do you think Mkhitaryan is for how successful they've been so far, Carl? Oh, he's the main man. I've, what's really interesting about the the change in formations, I mean, the 4-3-3 last season was important to enable Pogba to get forward because Ibrahimovic is, wasn't the most mobile striker, whereas now you've got Lukaku. And it doesn't quite add anything. Uh, Daniel Harris, a uh, football writer who sometimes writes for New Statesman, says uh, his problem with Manchester United's midfield right now is you've got Matic as your destroyer you've got Herrera as your I'm going to man mark Eden Hazard uh, <laughs> and you've got Pogba doing creative stuff and the, the, the problem is in big games is the plan for opponents being just stop Pogba and you're going to stop all the balls coming in and that sort of adds an extra importance to Mkhitaryan and you know hopefully it's going well for now you know he went through the Jose Mourinho brainwashing mind camp <laughs> so hopefully he'll play every single game but, but I am worried that at the moment, Manchester United are too reliant on individual moments of brilliance of, oh, that guy's beaten his marker and now he's whipped in across rather than, you know, the deeply choreographed sequences of play you see in Manchester City or Liverpool or Tottenham Hotspur. It's working for now, but there is going to be a game where we're going to be playing Spurs or Man City and it's not going to come off and Martial's going to try and get a take on. It's not going to work because he's going to take Martial off and then Man United fans are going to start tweeting again. <laughs> They do have a, a pretty decent plan B, uh, Man United, with them being all six for eight yeah. and above. Uh, I think we saw that a little bit in the Champions League on Tuesday. There's two headed goals, yeah. <laughs> getting them out of trouble a little bit. I think Mourinho was annoyed with them for not taking it seriously enough, wasn't he? And then they started throwing a, three, uh, throwing a few high balls in there and getting the headers in. Yeah. Uh, how long do we reckon that is until we see a lot more well, of that from Mourinho? Because we know he does often... Uh, resort to it <laughs> yeah well Mourinho said didn't he Fellaini is more important than anyone can imagine to me so that means definitely next game this is babysitter direct direct balls to the box Fellaini knockdowns um, I think that's what we might see again as, mm. as Pogba is out they've lost that massive creative force in midfield so Jose Mourinho might resort to a more agricultural style <laughs> of play as, as people often call it um, Ashley Young back inside whipping in crosses like he used to uh, for Aston Villa. So, yeah, I think Herrera's role in the side is the, the intriguing one. I think he will genuinely just become 
the man marker. When mm-hmm. they play a big side, Jose Mourinho is very good at identifying where the threat comes from. Herrera will be on the pitch to nullify it. He, against Eden Hazard last season, played it perfectly. Uh, in the FA Cup, it was working until he got sent off. Um, but Herrera's role in that side will be very much that. Uh, it's just that this vacuum of creativity now places more responsibility on Mkhitaryan, mm. uh, more responsibility on choosing a formation that gets the best out of him. Um, so sticking with this 4-3-3, I think we'll definitely see a move away from it. And and as you said, the style of play might change as well. Crosses to Fellaini and Lukaku, obviously the order of the day. Yeah, it worked for Van Gaal in his first season, it, you know, Yashley Young crossing it back post to Fellaini and then last season we had a lot of I mean this is the I think it's going to increase a lot more when Ibra comes back as well because you saw a lot of last season Pogba will take the ball down the line or, or Lingo will take the ball down the line look left look right and be like alright I'll poof it back post and Ibra will win the ball because he's a yeah he's a medical marvel um, <laughs> and it does slightly annoy me because I would like a bit more nuance in, in the attacking play but if it works it works is that is that how you feel as a man if you're willing now it's been sort of it's been a rough five years really hasn't it are you willing to just accept if it works it works as I, long as it brings silverware I miss being a bad guy I really miss being like the top bad guy in the Premier League I really miss heel yeah yeah. I want to be the big monster heel he's in the you know pay-per-view main spot uh, I'm sick sick of everyone talking about Pep I'm sick of everyone talking about Spurs and their tactical foul and get back to hating Man United <laughs> I think people will hate them if they literally score the next 10 goals all with their head good good I certainly will <laughs> it's fine when Morata does it but us yeah, <laughs> yeah exa- exactly yeah. alright stop fighting you two we're going to move on to the next section I'm embarrassed to ask I'm embarrassed to ask so this week the big issue is boots in the face so normally it's something I don't really understand, but I, I do understand how I feel about boots in the face, <laughs> particularly in this instance, how I feel about boots in the face. I don't want one. And if someone kicked me in the face, I'd be very upset. But I do also see the view that you can't not go for the ball. There's so much ride on every Premier League game. You can't, you can't just allow the goalkeeper to have it, right? So that being said, <laughs> that being said, Sadio Mane, did kick Edison really, really hard in the face, which should be a red card. Yeah. But where's where's the line? Because then the next day, Matt Ritchie does it and just gets a yellow and the referee sees it. But because it only sort of grazed his arm, I feel like it wasn't given as a booking. So where's the actual line on this? What should it be? How should the referees be acting when they see it? Because everyone says, oh yeah, they never used to play the game, so you don't understand. But a kick in the head is a kick in the head. And as much as I've been schooled by the East London Invitational League Division 7. I can acknowledge that is wrong. But you have to challenge. You don't have to challenge. You want to challenge. And this is the thing that I think a lot of football fans and former players are talking about, saying he has to go for that ball. Mane doesn't have to go for that ball. Um, and it says a lot that Mane led with his foot rather than going for his head because he knew he wasn't going to get there in time. And in terms of where's the line, I think the line is don't kick someone in the head. <laughs> right? From what we know about concussions and what we know about CTEs, um, I play rugby. I've been concussed three times playing rugby. I don't remember winning the cup final two seasons ago because I got my clock cleaned. It's not nice. And you can talk about, oh, you need to win a game, but it's no fun in games where you're 45 years of age and you don't remember where you put your car keys because you got kicked in the head a couple of times and you kept playing football. Um, and we talk about Matt Ritchie kicking someone in the head and, and you need consistency. What you have to bear in mind is this isn't like a, a six-form debate, all right? 
it's not a, if that happened between two outfield players, it wouldn't be a red card because it didn't happen between two outfield players. It happened between an outfield player and a goalkeeper and the goalkeeper's wearing gloves. So if he was, if Edison was outfield player, he most likely would have leveled with his foot as well and therefore would have probably got his arm in the way. But he's not. He's a goalie, so he's going to leave his head because he can't... He's, That's what he's used to. Yeah, there are different things there. Um, and what you also have to understand is, like, he kicked him in the head. Yeah. <laughs> Don't kick someone in the head. I don't, uh, I, you know, uh, I watched match today. I saw Alan Shearer talk about how he would have gone for that ball if he was a striker and how Ian Wright probably would have gone for that ball and Gary Lineker probably went for that ball as well. You want to go for that ball. You don't have to. There there are other methods to score that goal. Um, we saw it when Ibra scored against Joe Hart in the England game where he basically ran up to Joe Hart, realised he wasn't get there in time because if I back up a little bit, he punches the ball and I can do something with a bicycle or whatever. My has more than one option than to go for the toe poke. I mean, the moment you put, according to FIFA laws, it's not about, okay. So people say, oh, he didn't have his eye on, he only had his eye on the ball, which is more damning to Mane because that constitutes his dangerous play, which is what the FIFA law regulates. It constitutes dangerous play. You have to be in control of what you're doing. The moment Mane puts his foot up in the air, it is his responsibility to make sure that foot doesn't collide with someone's head. And it collides with someone's head. So it's a red card. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. Do you, do you feel the same, Jake? And that basically, every professional player will tell you that they have to go for it. But like Carl says, they don't. But they are going to go for it because there's that sort of professional pressure. It yeah. takes a genius with 15 years of Taekwondo training to know that <laughs> the ball's coming back out and you can do a karate kick 15 yeah. feet in the air. But most players, you know, Mane and Richie, you, you, I would say they're, <laughs> it's not too controversial statement, say they're a class apart. Like Mane is an excellent player, but even he's of the mindset that he's just, got to go for something. So how do you get players to get out of the mindset that they have to go for everything? So it's almost controversial to say, but I I sort of understand this thing about when you're on the pitch and you, and you want to win, I can understand why he's gone for it. I can understand why he's gone for it. My point would be that if he goes for it in a dangerous way, then it's a sending off. Yeah. Matt Ritchie, Alfie Mawson swerved out of the way to not get eight stitches like Edison did. Matt Ritchie was acting dangerously. So if the rule says, uh, I looked up the definition to, to definitely get it. And on the FA website, it says, playing in a dangerous manner in any action that while trying to play the ball threatens injury to someone, including the player themselves, and includes preventing a nearby opponent from playing the ball for fear of injury, is, is deemed as dangerous conduct. And you can be sent off for that. There is no mention of intent in there. Yeah. So when people talk about, oh, he doesn't mean it, doesn't matter. Doesn't yeah. matter, exactly. And that's exactly, that would be my point. Yes, if you feel like you have to go for it, you feel like there's pressure on it, that's your mentality to win. I can understand that. But if you do that in a dangerous way and you start raising your foot and you raise it higher and higher and it's colliding or it's near someone's face that's standing upright or even jumping to diving ahead of the ball, you have to know that, yeah, that was dangerous, I could be in trouble here. Don't expect not to be punished for something that could, as we said, threaten someone's uh, livelihood. Hmm. The thing is as well is just, the referee's consistency with it. That's yeah. why it's causing such an issue. Because Gary Neville was, on the commentary, he was staunchly mm. anti the red card. He's like, oh, no, you can't do that. That's too harsh. He had the eyes on the ball, everything like that. But obviously that was a divisive opinion in itself because he kicked him in the head. Yeah. <laughs> but he was saying, oh, you can't allow the fact that the player was hurt to affect the decision. But I've, I'm, I'm not you convinced should. of that because he did take... Six studs to the head. Him in the head. <laughs> you should. You shouldn't know. You shouldn't know. But I'm not arguing. 
Oh, he's kicked him in the head. Because that's kind matter. of the difference between but Richie I, and Mane, wasn't but, it? But I'm arguing that even, the injury should not dictate at all what card you yeah. get. They've both put their foot in an area where someone could have got seriously injured. So that's the rule. So punish them both for it. Um, there's the, the, the one incident with John Terry in the Carlin Cup final mm-hmm. uh, with Diaby. Like this, that's a really grey area because D- John Terry's died, right? yes. a dive mm-hmm. header. So according to that definition that I read out a minute ago, John Terry himself is... Dangerous play. He's almost dangerous because he's diving at an area where Diaby has got every right to kick it, have we said. Diaby's going to clear that ball. Diaby can't stoop down and head that because mm. he's from a standing play. So this is so confusing because who gets booked there? Is that a penalty? Like, who's been dangerous? This is why I think all the confusion arises. N- no one's arguing that Mane didn't kick Edison in the head. <laughs> as silly as that sounds, that's, that's not the point. People are confused because where, where do you draw the line? And, and my standpoint would be that the injury should never dictate uh, the card you get. It is you, you define what you deem as dangerous and if you get punished for it, no matter if you've hit them or not, then you have to accept that. If Mane got sent off because Edison got six stitches, I believe that's wrong. If that's John Moss, uh, John Moss was the referee. Yes, correct. Yeah. Uh, if that was his reasoning for sending Mane off, I believe he's sent him off for the wrong reason. If John Moss's reason for sending Sadio Mane off is because his foot was in danger of giving Edison six stitches, I agree with that. And that's why I believe Matt Ritchie should have been sent off as well. Alfie Mawson, if he wasn't so aware of it, as you said, it was happening outfield at a slower pace. Mm-hmm. Mawson had time to swerve out the way in. You, if you watch the slow motion replay, you see the look on his face. He is relieved that Matt Ritchie's foot didn't kick him. Yeah. So because he didn't get six stitches, shouldn't dictate it. It should be the probability of him getting a cut face. If that makes any sense, that's yeah, where yeah. that's my standpoint it, it on it. It was also a studs-up tackle in the head. Yeah, exactly. Like to add. <laughs> it, 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 it was... It was um, a kick in the head. It was a kick in the head. Um, I've, you know, I've, you know, if you've been, if you, I watched it live. Uh, the first tackle, I shouted something at the referee. Uh, seen then, you know, then I saw the replay. And, oh no, that's a red. And that, yeah, yeah, I guess that's, and, that's another thing you have to bring in it always, isn't it? A credit to John Moss for, for recognizing what happened at real time and going, no, that's an instant red. And I think I heard the argument that this is a contact sport. All right, <laughs> UFC is a combat sport. If you kick someone in the head when they are grounded, you are instantly disqualified from a bout. So even UFC, the sport that is supposed to have no rules, has rules about kicking someone in the head because kicking someone in the head is very bad. And when people say, where do you draw the line? I'd be very happy if we just simply drew a line at if you are any chance going to kick someone in the head or if you ever kick someone in the head in a game of football, you are sent off. Because what we know about CTE, what we know about concussions, what we know about safety, it is very, very important we protect players because not only should we protect players, we should also just take it out of their hands if they are concussed as well. So we had two or three concussions since last season where players got cold cock, got up and kept playing. I think Martial was completely out of it in the Watford 3-1 last season. And then he played for an extra 10 minutes and you saw a lot of uh, sports scientists and physios and a lot of American sports fans going, take him off immediately because he he does not know where he is. Loris got one as well, didn't Mm -hmm. he? Hugo Loris. And was it a couple of seasons ago? Was it Oscar? Got Mm -hmm. absolutely taken out and he did that thing this is going to be quite difficult to describe but when you get concussions people, it's called like opening the fence or something and you're on the floor and it looks like they're trying to open a gate towards him and he was doing that and then got up and played on. Bizarre. Yeah. Bellerin as well. It wasn't with the foot in the head, but with the challenge yeah. of Marcus yeah. Alonso. That looked that looked awful. And again, I'm not 
Marcus Alonso, you can argue whether that was a foul or wasn't a foul. And it was the elbow that caught Bellerin, obviously in a, in a bad place, but it just shows how dangerous football can be. And, mm. and, and when you're sort of bleeding with your feet and your studs, um, yeah, either decide like everyone is a sending off, everyone's a booking or everything is one thing. Mm. Uh, don't let the injury, no matter how bad they can be, don't let that dictate the punishment. But there just needs to be a clear rule. Mm. If you put your foot in X area near someone's body part, then you get this. Yeah, I mean, we, we see this in five-a-side about no head height and, and, you know, if you've got a high high leg in five-a-side. So the process is there to apply it to the professional game. And I think it, it's very important we don't let our enjoyment of what was a good game. It was a good game. The first 40 minutes of that game was very nicely poised. Salah had Otamendi on skates. Um, it probably should have finished 1-1 if Salah knew he can shoot away from the goalkeeper. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, Liverpool capitulated. And I don't think it's very important we don't let our enjoyment or, or want for enjoyment get in the way of player safety because I'm telling you, getting kicked in the head is not nice. <laughs> well, that moves us nicely on to the next section then, which is exactly what Edison was asking to everyone he saw afterwards. Who's this fella? <laughs> <laughs> Who's this fella? All right, so Brighton have been promoted and they've got quite a few players in their squad, as have Huddersfield, uh, that, to be quite honest with you, I have never heard of in my life. And this weekend, one of them scored. Uh, Pascal Gross scored two, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And he was uh, yeah playing against West Brom and won 3-1. And two goals and an assist Gross got. And I've got no idea who he is. Is he going to be one of these players? Because sometimes there's really good players I haven't heard of, Carl. Jake has told me about, like hot European talents that I haven't heard of before. <laughs> is Pascal Gross a hot European talent or is he just a really good find for Brighton? I think Gross is one of those sort of money ball signings uh, in terms of in terms of numbers and statistics. He was Bundesliga... Bought by Brad Pitt. Exactly. What he, was, uh, <laughs> he was uh, the Bundesliga's most creative player last season. Created oh, he is nine- a hot... I've got it. I've missed out on a hot European talent again, haven't I? <laughs> um, so he was the... Uh, created 98 chances, which is the most in the league. Uh, Emil Forsberg, who got rave reviews last season, 19 assists, uh, was second on the list. Um, it can be quite deceiving, as Gross, 60 of those, 60% of those chances were created from dead ball situations. So he's very much your uh, Bundesliga Gilfie Sigurdsson in, in terms of how Sigurdsson was praised for creating a lot of chances, but then people were like, but they're all from set pieces. It's a valuable asset, and that's what Gross will definitely add to Brighton. I can see that as one of the main reasons why they signed him. Um, but a few other things about him that sort of people didn't realise is in that win, in that win on Saturday against West Brom, he created the most. Um, he covered the most distance in the Premier League in the weekend, which was thirteen point six kilometres, um, and that's something from an attacking player will be valuable to a side like Brighton, who will rely very much on how well they defend as, as how clinical they are in the box. So with Chris Hewton, he's bought this player that is reliable from set pieces, uh, is a great crosser of the ball. Uh, he created the most chances from corners than any other player in Europe's top five leagues last season. So they've bought this set piece specialist and he can play up front, he can play in behind. Uh, they've already tried him in both positions. So Brighton have bought this player that is very much based on statistics, I would imagine. I imagine they looked into it carefully like that. But since playing, scoring their first ever Premier League goal. He's a history maker already. <laughs> so I think he could be a, a shrewd signing and, and one that I put straight in my fantasy football team because of the chances created. But unfortunately, he was not in there for when he actually <laughs> scored. Oh dear, oh dear. 
So how, how much did they sign him from? Do you know? Sorry, how much did they sign him for, not from? Uh, relative peanuts from Iglesias, which got they got relegated last season. I, I'm not sure about Brighton staying up this season. They, you know, I, I watch Football Focus on Saturday, and and they're all around Amex, and they were talking about how happy they are to be here. Uh, and at two or three points, Hutton and their chief executive made mention of the fact that they they wanted to buy a striker on uh, deadline day. I think they were in for Victor Jansen, um, yeah, which turned him down last minute, didn't he? Which shows. They, they do have a very good game plan because if you've got Grossi who wants to whip in all these set pieces, Janssen is your man you want to to, to put him away. Janssen is very much the, the full stop or the exclamation mark at the end of a sentence rather than the person who's writing the sentence in the same way a Harry Kane is in terms of, you know, if that's how you imagine goals are scored. Um, <laughs> yeah. Everything's just grammar to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it's interesting what they're going to do. I think Newcastle would probably just pip it and I think Huddersfield now I'm surprised I'm not sure about Huddersfield I'm not sure if it's yeah, they, they genuinely I'm not sure if they genuinely have a system or if just no one was expecting them for three days and then they're going to figure them out they're very hyper defensive by the looks of it if you're if you're not having a shot against West Ham mm. in, in 45 minutes they had their last shot was uh, in the change your tone <laughs> <laughs> but West Ham who have been notoriously open yeah, this season awful, yeah. if, uh, if Huddersfield is sitting back and and not getting a shot away, you've got to be concerned. I think uh, they had negative goal difference, didn't they, they in the championship? Like, I think yeah, it's been mentioned yeah, before. Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so they they were promoted with negative goal difference, which was more based on the fact they didn't score a lot than mm. conceding mm. a lot. Mm. Um, they didn't score a goal in, in ninety minutes throughout the no. playoff run. Was... Uh, Huddersfield and Reading were two. <laughs> they both had negative goal difference, didn't yeah. they? And when they yeah. third, and, I think it was like plus two and minus two. Like, yeah. Together they had a zero goal difference, or it was something ridiculous like that. And I think that is, I, I, I picked Huddersfield as one of my teams to go down purely based on the fact that, as cliched as it sounds, you do need to score. Yeah. Um, West Ham hadn't won a game. West Ham beat them two 0 Easily, uh, as well. <laughs> easily, exactly. They had chances, and and if you're letting West Ham sort of beat you, and uh, I know they had impressive results. Again, one of them was against Crystal Palace, who are this anomaly at the moment that just can't win. Mm. Um, I don't think their season's going to be that much beneficial. Uh, Brighton with Gross in the side. It'll be interesting. More, how... of a, more of a fighter's chance than yeah. He's, that's what I mean. They've bought a specialist to to succeed in a game plan. Mm. If we can get five corners a game Gross could get an assist or Gross yeah. could get, create three chances that's the sort of moneyball aspect of it and that's why he's a great pickup you'd imagine they're still playing moneyball right now looking for that January transfer window it's a World Cup year um, <laughs> and as I think Alan Shearer raised the point a couple of years ago in a World Cup year January transfer window what you want to buy you want to buy a striker who is desperate. the third choice for the national team so someone who's desperate to make that pick make that get on that plane so you yeah. You know, I'm. You know, Origi's already gone, but Roberto Martinez could do a lot of people a lot of favors by saying he's only going to be playing one strike up front for Belgium, yeah. because there's going to be three or four Belgium strikers that want to desperately get on that plane. Yeah. Um, so I imagine Brighton will probably pick up someone for four million, and they'll probably get nine goals in January, probably from Russia, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Russia's though? They're getting striker? Wagner Love. Man. Yeah, um, <laughs> is, he, is he still about? I think he's in Brazil. He was top scorer in the Brazilian. In the Turkish league, I can't remember which league it was now. I genuinely stumbled across it, and it was Wagner Love at the top of the scoring charts, and Adebayor was in the top five. It must have been Turkish Definitely, league. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't believe it. More money than we anticipate they did. Huddersfield as well spent. They 
Mm. Bought ten plus players. Yeah. yeah, not not necessarily all for twenty million, no. but you've got to have money to bring in that many players. And a couple of loan deals, but yeah. they've recruited quite well. They also uh, picked up a gentleman from Ingolstadt, um, which leads me to believe they might be the budget Monaco. <laughs> Just let's all pick all their players. Yeah. <laughs> or the budget Hull. Apparently now Hull players are good. Klukas is doing well. Uh, well, yes. he was bought for a lot. <laughs> yes, of course. And Robert, Robertson for Liverpool as well, wasn't he, from Hull? Yeah, yeah. yeah and, and Harry Maguire. So it, it's interesting to see how what happens to these relegated clubs when the, the four or five players do flourish and you do realise, oh, wait, it, yeah, it, all right. yeah. it might be just institutional chaos rather than the players that aren't there. Speaking of chaos, time to bring it into the final section, the bloodthirsty stats free-for-all that is Stats Showdown. Stats Showdown. Turned the lights off in the studio for dramatic effect. We're just being lit by one phone light. While I'm shining brightly in the lights, in the eyes of uh, Hot Take Jake over there. Jake, I'm going to give you the first shot at Carl. The first one to impress me twice wins. It's best out of three. So take aim with your stat gun and fire at Carl there. Carl, yeah. sorry. I go European for my first one. If Paolo. Dybala scores versus Sassuolo at the weekend for Juventus. He'll be the first player ever to score in the first four Serie A games of a season for Juventus. They have been in Serie A for 85 seasons since 1929. The jewel in the crown could be the first one to score in all four of the first games. He's wearing number 10 as well. It's meant the, to be. The shirt fits. Goodness it's meant me. to be. Karl Anker, the anchor man. I'm going to... I'm going to go slightly defensive and uh, say uh, Thibaut Courtois was the first keeper to register a Champions League assist uh, since Fraser Foster in what? Uh, uh, November 2012. Remember Fraser Foster used to play for Celtic and he once got an assist against Barcelona no less. Um, but Courtois is the very first goalkeeper to do that since. My God, I've been blown away by both of those. I can't believe Fraser Foster, I can't believe Fraser Foster has a Champions League assist. He really does. I think that's blown me away. <laughs> It's got to go to Anchor. Anchor's one and up. And now, Anchor, you get the chance to kill him <laughs> with your final stat. I mean, if Fraser Frost scores your whiskey, here's your chaser. Uh, that wasn't the first goalkeeper assist Celtic have ever registered. Oh, my God. <laughs> Arthur Burrick <laughs> once got one against Manchester United at Old Trafford, uh, hoofing it long for Jan Vanagor of Hesselink, which is still one of my favourite name. names. Yeah. Um, and Celtic are the only team with two goalkeeper assists in Champions League history. My word. Anchor to Entwistle. Entwistle. Doubling up on Celtic and goalkeepers. I'm going to have to bring out my big gun early to make sure I'm still in it. Arsenal face Chelsea this weekend. Okay. Eden Hazard is back in the side. You're right. Two bench appearances. He'll probably start. Eden Hazard has completed more take-ons against Arsenal than any other Premier League side. He has the uh, most per game against them than any other top six side and he's got the highest success rate 68.85% against Arsenal than any other top six side the number of take-ons is uh, 42 that's a lot of take-ons can I ask when he made Coquelin do that spinning thing mm -hmm. did that count as a take-on yeah I'm pretty sure he completed three on the way to that goal he, he oh needs like an extra like multiplier for that so one so it's not just back <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah. He's, got, he's got a game breaker yeah. for that one it's not just Bakayoko and Kante. It's that, now Hazard to worry about. As well. That was your game breaker. It's one all. You've both drawn your stat cannons up for one final shot. Jake, you take the first one. I wanted to save Hazard for last, but I needed to, <laughs> to use it there. Uh, this one is Man United related. 
Mkhitaryan related. Oh. Um, if he assists, aiming for Carl with his own team. Exactly. If he assists, he'll be. Uh, he would have already equaled the number of assists a Man United player has registered in each of the last two seasons. So the max, the max that someone got in the last two seasons was six. He's on five. The last player to get more than six was Di Maria the season before, with ten. Good lord. We were terrible for seasons. Oh. You also have to take marks off because a lot of Di Maria assists were those weird shanked crosses he got. <laughs> that season. So there you go. Um, I mean, I'm shocked. Okay. Um, but one good Manchester United fact deserves another. Uh, and mine is for uh, that guy, Rash. Sorry, Man like Rash. I'm, I'm calling him that guy Rash now. Uh, I tweeted a while ago, do you think Welbeck looks like looks at Rashford in the same way Salieri looks like Mozart? Just, Jesus. Lord. <laughs> <laughs> I'm truly mediocre. <laughs> uh, but here's my Rashford stat. He he got a goal in a 3-0 win over FC Basel in the Champions League on Tuesday. A lovely poacher's goal as well. A fantastic one, which makes it <laughs> six goals in his five debuts. Rashford is a debut man. He scored in his club debut for Manchester United. Mm-hmm. He scored in his England debut. Mm-hmm. He scored in his Champions League debut now. Yeah. His Europa League debut. And he's got one in the EFL Cup. Now, it's a good stat, but I'm going to have to say Jake's won because oh. you missed out England under under 21. Oh, team. yes, he did. Hat trick. He's Go got on. the lot. Europa, Champions League, FA Cup, Premier League, England, Inge- England under 21. Yeah. Not, the not, not the FA Cup. Not the FA Cup. Nice. And he didn't oh, go no, in the FA, not FA Cup. Cup. Yeah. So EFL Cup, under 21s. Poor man's Marco Asensio. <laughs> Spicy. There we go. So Jake's won this one. He's going to be so pleased. He is, he is a bad loser. <laughs> I can <laughs> tell you. You gave it to me just because you were scared. Yeah. You? <laughs> I'm terrified. He's, he's got the gunslinger's moustache, as you can see, and he it's does a, not take it It's a it really well. good stat, and it also is a massive indictment of how bad Man United have been scoring and, goals. Yeah. <laughs> and just proves the point that they need to get Mkhitaryan. Yeah. They need to play around him. When they play around him, he's already smashing records. But anyway, that's all we've got time for. Carl, where can we find you if we want to find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Anchorman616. Oh, you actually call yourself the Anchorman? Yeah, no, I, I was thinking I, I was Mr. Original over here. <laughs> it's the legend of Ron Carl Anchor. <laughs> uh, I uh, have my own football podcast called Talking Tactics, which you can find us on SoundCloud and iTunes. You can also find me on the new sports and pop culture website Versus, which is from the people that make Complex. So I'm in there recently talking about how Neymar started the next great age of football. Uh, and I also worked out how many Freddos Neymar costs, which is roughly 600,000. Oh, there we go, yeah. Jake. He's, uh, Carl's in more places than the <laughs> www dot. So where, yeah. where can we find uh, you on the internet? There's just, just one for me. Um, just my Twitter account as usual, at Jake Entwistle. And I'll be, um, I have got a table of Eden Hazard's take-ons against every Premier League side. 27 teams, 1,003 attempted. So I'll be putting that on Twitter. Wow. Love Whoa. <laughs> That's Entwistle without the H. Yes. You can find me at Rob Armstrong underscore WH every now and again. I might send a tweet. And of course, you can find us on Deezer, on iTunes and all your other podcast providers. Subscribe, review, rate us, give us all the praise in the world and make us feel really, really special. Just in time for next week when we'll see you again on Defending in Numbers. Defending in Numbers is a Deezer Originals production. You can find and download more episodes on Deezer and all major podcast providers. Deezer Deezer. Originals.